joining us online. We're glad you're with us. I just love the fact that we're able to connect to such a wide audience. Um, you know, I've shared this a few times. We have people from all over that, that watch us on a regular basis. We have a number of people in Canada. We have people in the Philippines. We've had people in Australia. Don't know why, but, <laughs> but it's good. Last week, I left you on a, a bit of a, a cliffhanger. We were talking about the sword and the shield. And if you're a guest or a visitor, someone watching online for the first time, let me catch you up a little bit. We're in a series called Building Blocks. Building Blocks to a Life of Faith, which fits in with our, our theme for the year, which is a year of living in faith. And we've got our passage of scripture that, that, that has become our core passage. If we could just put that up there on the screen, please. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power, I love this, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things that your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible by the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Now those building blocks, the first call that Jesus calls us to is, is the call to love. Can we go to the next screen, please? His love. That's the bottom line of everything. If you don't trust God's love, you're not going to trust God. On top of his love are his promises, his word. Now both of those point to the character of God. If you don't trust the character of God, if you don't trust who he is, if you don't trust his word, you are not going to live in faith. So that's kind of the foundation of the, of the building blocks. And then obedience. That's when we respond to his promises. And, and when you step out in faith, what you're doing is you're joining God in his work. Now you have his love, but when you join him in his work, you experience his love on an all new level. It's like, wow, God. So you kind of start over again. We're back to God's love, but we're four courses higher than we were at the beginning. And on and on it goes. And, and the interesting thing with faith, I think, is it says more about who we believe God to be than it does about who we see ourselves as. When we trust his character, we're going to step out in faith. So last week, I began talking about that bed in between God's promises and obedience. So see if you can stay with me here. I asked this question last week. Where do we find God's promises? The Bible, his word, right? So it's his word and obedience, which is faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, in addition to all these, Paul is talking about this armor that we are to wear. Not physical armor, but spiritual armor. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Satan is always firing arrows at us. Non-stop. The sword and the shield. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword and the shield go hand in hand. You really need both. One is not enough. You want to stop the onslaught, and you want to take some ground. You want to attack. 
See if I can get that back onto there. There we go. All right. So I kind of left you on a cliffhanger. Last week I said, how would you like to go from this size shield to this size shield to that big old shield? Anyone want a big shield? Yeah. Because those flames and those arrows are coming at us, and the greater protection you have, the greater life you live. And God wants you to live vibrantly. He wants you to live victoriously. Deuteronomy 33:29 says, How blessed are you, O Israel? How blessed are you, God's people? Who else is like you? A people saved by the Lord. He is your protecting shield and your triumphant sword. He is your shield and your sword. But how? Well, through faith in him and the power of his word in our lives. So as faith, if faith is our shield against the fiery arrows, how big of a shield do you want? You're not very good shots, are you? <laughs> Got the right people here, don't I? So let me ask you that question again. If faith is your shield, how big of a shield do you want? Is this good? No. You want one of these? It's better though, isn't it? You want one of these, don't you? I mean, you want some protection. You want, so we, we all want a big shield. How big of a sword do you want? Mm. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so this morning, as I promised last week, I want to talk about how you go from this to this to this. So I'm going to start with three faith basics. You might want to jot these down. First one, faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So everybody who has asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in you and you get faith. It's a gift from Jesus. So we all have faith. And I mentioned this last week, though. But have you ever noticed that some people seem to have greater faith than other people? They have a bigger shield. Second thing, God expects us to live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. So God expects us to live in faith. Number three, God rewards our faithfulness. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards our faithfulness. And I believe that one of the rewards that God gives us when we act in faithfulness is a bigger shield. Man, you stepped out in faith. You did good. You obeyed me. Here's a bigger shield to protect you from the flames and arrows. So let me tell you the secret. The secret to getting a bigger shield and a bigger sword. Diet and exercise. <laughs> Look at all the faces like, no, 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 diet and exercise. Let me explain. Faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger you get. You know, when you lift weights or you exercise your muscles, do you get more muscles? No. 
the muscles you have grow, right? So you have faith. And the more you exercise the faith, the more you use your faith, the greater your faith gets. You don't need more faith. You just need to exercise the faith that you have. And Jesus wants you to have greater faith. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that, that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the pioneer. That means he's the author, the beginner, the starter of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. He gives it to us and he will do things in your life to help your faith get stronger and deeper and stronger and deeper. He's like a coach. <laughs> and he wants you to have a big shield so that you can withstand those fiery arrows. <laughs> and he wants you to have a big sword so that you can advance his kingdom. And that's where the diet comes in. We'll talk about that a little bit better. A little bit later. Feeding on his word, understanding his promises, and the great rewards they bring. That's what drives our faith journey. So I want to share with you this morning three stories, okay? These are personal stories. You may have heard them a long time ago. I'm sure I've shared these before. But I want to give you all three, three ways that Jesus works in our lives to help us grow our faith, increase the size of our shield. I'm going to give you all three up front, and then I'm going to give you the story. So are you ready? First one, our faith is strengthened when we see Christ in action around us. This is third-person faith, okay? Nothing happens to you. You just see somebody else acting in faith, and you see the results of that faith. But it doesn't happen to you. you just, you're just there. You're a witness. The second way, second person, we see Christ in action in us. So this is when Jesus does stuff to us, but it's not our faith that prompts it. It's somebody else's faith, somebody else's prayers, and Jesus does something. It's kind of fun, but freaky. And then the third way is when we see Christ in action through us. This is where Jesus says to us, I want you to do, and you do, and when you've done, it's like, whoa, Jesus. That's the funnest way. So let me start off with the first story. This is something that happened to me at the very, very beginning of my faith journey. Honestly, I can't remember if I was still an unbeliever or whether I was just a very, very new believer. I didn't even have this. I didn't have a shield at this time. And a friend, person I worked with, took me to see a speaker called Tony Campolo. Some of you may have heard of him. He's quite controversial these days. And I remember a story that Tony Campolo shared that I'm going to share with you. And I, as you listen to it, I want you to listen to it through the ears of someone who is absolutely brand new to this whole God thing. Didn't grow up with it. Like I say, I might have still been an unbeliever. It might be very early on, but that's the ears I want you to listen. So Tony Campolo tells this story, and I'm just going to read the story. He says, many years ago, when I was, no, that's me. <laughs> There's a Pentecostal college near Eastern College where I teach. I'm not Pentecostal, but I talk so fast that they think I'm speaking in tongues. So it works out okay. And he does talk fast. He's got a New York accent. And 
says, one day they invited me to speak at the chapel service. I like speaking there because they are dynamic, happy people, and I enjoy being with them. Just before I spoke, eight guys took me to a back room of the chapel, got me down on my knees, and they laid their hands on my head and prayed for me. That was good. I need all the prayers I can get. There was only one problem. Those guys prayed a long time. You ever been around Pentecostals? I mean, they like to pray. (laughs) It says, and that's usually okay too, but the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more they leaned on my head. It says, I want to tell you that when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel so good. One guy wasn't even praying for me. Instead, he went on and on praying about somebody named Charlie Stolzfuss. And dear Lord, he shouted, you know Charlie Stolzfuss. He lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. And I felt like saying, knock it off, fella. What do you think God's doing? Say, give me that address again. Anyway, he went on and on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning that he's decided to leave his wife and three kids. He told me he was walking out on his family. Lord, step in. Do something. Bring the people in that family back together again. All the while, I'm kneeling there with eight guys leaning on my head. And I'm asking myself, when's this guy going to knock it off so I can get these Pentecostal preachers off my head? But he kept going on and on about Charlie Stolzfuss leaving his wife and kids, giving God constant reminders that he lived in a silver trailer a mile down the road on the right-hand side. Finally, when the prayers were over and I went into the, pub, I went into the pulpit and preached, after I finished, I got in my car, I drove to the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and I headed home. As I drove onto the Turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. Now, I know you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher, and whenever I can get anyone locked in as a captive audience, I do it. So I stopped, and I picked him up. We drove for a few moments, and I said, hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? He said, my name's Charlie Stoltzfus. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a little bit uneasy with that, and after a few minutes, he said, Hey, mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and he asked, why? And I said, because you just left your wife and three children, right? And that blew him away. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right, he said, with shock written all over his face. He plastered himself against the car door, never took his eyes off me. I drove off the turnpike at the next exit, and then I really did him in as I drove right to his silver trailer. (laughs) When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how did you know that I lived here? I said, God told me. I believe God did tell me. We got out of the car, and I ordered him to get in that trailer. Half shaking, he answered, right, mister, sure, sure, I'm going. And when he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her her eyes got. 
And then he said, with real, then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk to you, and you are going to listen. And man, did they listen. I mean, I talked like E.F. Hutton. That afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ, and today that guy is a preacher of the gospel out in California. That's an incredible story, isn't it? When you're a brand new believer, as I was, and you hear that story, what do you do with a story like that? Is he telling the truth? Is he lying? Is he exaggerating? Like, what do you do as you're a brand new, you don't even have a little shield of faith. What do you do with a story like that? Now, if you get nothing else out of this morning, get this. Anytime Christ seeks to help us grow in our faith, he is going to bring us to a crisis of faith that demands action. Let me say that again. Anytime Christ seeks to help us grow in our faith. Anytime Christ wants to up the size of your shield, he is going to bring you to a crisis of faith that demands action. It's kind of scary. And Jesus is really looking. He's looking at Mike Bishop that's just heard this story, new in his faith. And, and I think he's looking and said, what are you going to do with that, Mike? What are you going to do with that story, Mike? How are you going to respond to this? Well, I kept seeing Things like this going on around me. It wasn't my faith to the point where I took that first step and I decided to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Big step. Got me a shield. To, to protect me from the flames and arrows. <laughs> All right, that's the first way. Second way. Our faith is strengthened when we see Christ in action in us. Stuff he does to us. So I was a neutral in that one. I'm listening to somebody else tell a faith story about what happened in their lives. I remember the first couple of months in my relationship with Sandra, my future wife back then, I made two observations about her. Number one, I had never met anyone who talked so fast or so much. And I came from a house of women. Just me and my dad and them. Four sisters and my mom. And the second thing that I noticed about her, I had never met anybody who was as baby crazy as my wife. I mean, it was nuts. She would babysit every opportunity. I can remember going on dates with her. Just me, her, and the twins that she's babysitting. You know? She was born to be a mother. She was baby crazy. So you can imagine how devastating it was when it became obvious to us that we had a problem conceiving. We'd been married for a couple of years, and, and we weren't actively looking to, to have a baby, but we had stopped preventing it. And after a year or so, year and a half, two years, you start thinking, something's not right here. So we start the journey, we go to the doctors and do all of this. Make a long story short, came out there were six different reasons between the two of us why we couldn't have children. And the doctor told us any one of these six is enough. But you got six. And 
if you did get pregnant, the chances of you carrying that baby to term are slim to none, and slim's out of town. <laughs> so, that was a little disappointing. We started the journey of looking into adoption. And um, we had had people praying for this whole pregnancy process. The whole church was praying for us. And at some point, you know, it just became obvious. We tried everything. This is not going to happen. So we went down the route of adoption. And we adopted our, own, our oldest son. And that story is a faith story in itself, but I'm not going to go there. And we were absolutely, completely at peace with this. We'd seen God do some wonderful things in that process, and, and we were completely at peace with the adoption process. So fast forward, James, it's about 17, 18 months old. We're in the process of adopting our second child. Our name's on the list, and everything's going well, and we're fine with that, completely reconciled and at peace with adopting. In fact, everybody had even stopped praying for Sandra to get pregnant, except, except Sheila. Sheila was still praying. And we invited Sheila over one Saturday for dinner. We're sitting around the table. And she says, I, I just need to let you know something. I feel God wants me to tell you this. I'm still praying for you to have a baby, Sandra. And I'm praying that you'll have a baby girl to complete your family. And we did the whole, you know what, Sheila, that's really nice, but we're at peace with the whole situation, you know. And it, it's kind of like, and, and, but Sheila's insistent, you know, and it gets to the point where, okay, back off, lady. We're cool with this. So, no, no, I'm praying. I'm praying for you to get pregnant, and I'm praying that Sandra will have a baby girl. Now, what's really kind of neat about this story, what we didn't know as we sat around that table Sandra was pregnant. But this faith story is not over. Getting pregnant and carrying a baby to term are two different things. So as soon as we discovered she was pregnant, straight into the doctor, right away, high-risk pregnancy, the whole church is praying for this baby. That you're going to carry this baby to term. This baby is going to be healthy. And there was one point in the middle where things started going wrong. We ended up, we had to rush into the hospital. Looked like she was going to lose the baby. And while we were in the hospital, there was three or four? Two. I like to think three or four. <laughs> two ladies who stayed up all night praying. We went in in the evening and they prayed all night and they didn't stop praying until we called them in the morning and said, the doctor's sending us home. We think we're okay. Not done yet. Because of all the stuff that was wrong, a week before the baby was due, they did a scan. Sandra had to go every week for scans. Every week. They did a scan. The baby was the wrong way up, head up, the wrong way round, facing the wrong way, and the placenta was down below, which is very, very dangerous for both mom and baby, a week before she's due. The doctor's all concerned, you know, I'm not sure we, we're going to have to get you in here. Those ladies, no, we're praying this. 
we're praying this. And they just started praying and praying and praying and praying. We go to see the doctor. The baby's the right way up, right way round, and the placenta is in the right place. And he's like, what? A week later, she gave birth a, a day early, five hours of labor, healthy baby. I never felt a thing. I, it was great. <laughs> and Amy, who's down in our children's ministry right now, she's been married for 13 years herself, and you see the two grandkids that we have from her. Now, from a faith perspective, what do you think when that happens to you? Coincidence? A whole bunch of coincidences? <laughs> or could it be the faith of those people who were praying us through that pregnancy? Could it be God? And Jesus is looking. So how are you going to respond to what I'm doing in you? Anytime Christ seeks to help us grow in our faith, he is going to bring us to a crisis of faith that demands action. So we begin to live in a little bit stronger faith. We get a bigger shield to protect us from the arrows. <laughs> we start serving at church. We teach. In fact, we did whatever we could do because God, God is good. What can I do, God? We join him in his work, and he rewards our faithfulness. We get a bigger shield. So third story. This is the funnest story. Third way our faith is strengthened is when we see Christ in action through us, when he tells us to do something. This is the funnest way. First-person faith. And this is a Sandra story. So we lived in Spruce Grove, where all these people have been praying for us. And up in Spruce Grove, every long weekend through the summer, there were about five or six churches on the, on the long weekend that they would all get together in the evening and we would have a non-denominational service. All the pastors would take part. So you got the Alliance, you got the Baptists, you got the Pentecostals, and, and all the pastors would take a different role. Well, this time it was at the Pentecostal church. That's coming up a lot, isn't it? And... Um, The, the, the guy that was doing the opening prayer, it was Canada Day. Let me just, Amy was about five. Hang on, let me just think this through. Amy was about five. She was going into kindergarten. And we wanted to meet the kindergarten teacher. And we knew that she went to the Pentecostal church and she would be there that day. And when we got there, she's up on the stage singing. But we've never actually met her. We know her name. And Sandra was determined to meet her. So the pastor comes up. And he, the one who's doing the prayer, and he talks about prayer in such a powerful way. And he, and he talked about listening to God and obeying God. And he said, when, I, when, when you pray today, I want you to pray and ask God, what's the next thing for you? What does he want to go with you? So we're praying, and Sandra hears God say to her, I want you to talk to Cheryl, this is the kindergarten lady, about adoption. We had adopted James. Sandra was now on the adoption board. She volunteered at the adoption place. I want you to talk to this Cheryl about adoption. Now, 
it was a bit of a conundrum because there's no context. God didn't say what. It was just talk to Cheryl about adoption. First time you ever met anyone, do you go up to them and say, hey, how you doing? My name's Mike. What do you think of adoption? You ever thought about adopting? You know anybody that wants to adopt? Do you know someone that needs to have a child adopt? I mean, what do you do? How do you bring that conversation up? But Sandra was absolutely convinced that God had said, when this is over, go talk to Cheryl about adoption. And she was scared. Oh, man, how am I going to bring this up? Like, what, what, what What do you say? So she's clever. She's pretty smart lady. She married me. So right afterwards, she goes up to Cheryl and, hi, you know, how are you doing? And she gets into this conversation about Amy and kindergarten. And we've got the kids there. And, and, and she mentions James is adopted. I think that's how it started. She'll correct me. If it's, oh, she's not here. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> but right away, as soon as she said the word adoption, Cheryl's eyes just, boom. She's got a little girl. And right away, Cheryl says, our little girl's adopted. And we're on the government adoption list, which is 11 years long. And when you get past a certain age, you can't adopt. So you can imagine what kind of a conundrum that is. It takes 11 years to get there. She did not know about private adoption. It was brand new in Canada. We had adopted privately, and Sandra was on the board of the private adoption. So as soon as that conversation came up, Sandra talked to her about private adoption, and Sandra knew right away, this is why God wanted me to talk to her. But it's kind of like, okay, that's kind of weird. Next day, we're at home, doorbell rings, ding dong. It's the daughter of a friend, teenage daughter of a friend, and she's there with another young lady who's come up from Texas to Alberta. He says, my friend here is pregnant and she would like to have the baby adopted and she's looking for a Christian couple who are involved with music. (laughs) Cheryl sings in the band. Her husband is a Christian performer. He makes records, he tours. Right away, it's like, oh, (laughs) okay. This is interesting. Now, it doesn't end there. You're not allowed to just match somebody up with somebody. You can't do that. It's got to go through the agencies. It's got to be done properly. Sandra's on the board of the Private Adoption Society of Alberta. They hate Christians. Anytime moms would come and they would match moms to prospective parents. So if you're looking to adopt, you would fill out the questionnaire, you'd go in for an interview, they would question you. It was quite a lengthy process, and Sandra saw time after time after time. When people would say something like, well, we just believe that the Lord is leading us here, and and the Lord is, as soon as they're out of the door, those people would then, well, the Lord can lead you straight out of here, because we're not interested. So Sandra told Cheryl and her husband, I can't remember what his name was, Al, about this. So when you do the interview, go easy on the Jesus stuff. They didn't go easy on the Jesus stuff. They were convinced that this was God. They're not going to hide away from God. So she said, and they just laid it on thick. 
Jesus, 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 Jesus. And Sandra's thinking, oh, well, here you go. Finish the interview, they leave. The two ladies that are in charge both turned to each other and looked at Sandra and said, what a wonderful couple. And Sandra's like, what? <laughs> Long story short, you know the end of the story. They ended up adopting that young lady's child. Um, and that young lady is now, or last I heard, she was a missionary serving Jesus. What do you think that did for Sandra's faith? I mean, it's so difficult when God tells you to do something, even as, as maybe benign you might think, as go and talk to somebody about, and you do it. And you see God come through. And the next day you see this young lady show up. And you see what happens at the private adoption society. And you see the end of the journey when families are, are together. And, and Anytime, I don't know if I've mentioned this. Anytime Christ seeks to help us grow our faith, he is going to bring us to a crisis of faith that demands action. Sandra could have stayed hidden and not gone and talked to that lady. Oh, that's just me. I don't think it's God. But she chose to act in faith. She gets a big shield. Now, to finish that story up, when that pastor told us to pray about what God wants to do next, I prayed that prayer too. And then all this stuff unravels with Sandra. I go to work on Tuesday because it was a long weekend. I get a phone call from our regional manager in Vancouver asking if he wanted us, if we wanted to move to Calgary because there's a job in Calgary that we need you. We prayed about it. It seemed that the door was closed, but the more we prayed about it, God just opened that door. We experienced the greatest explosion of our faith in those six years in Calgary that led directly to us meeting the people that connected us to Dallas that connected us to this church. God is always at work. He's at work around you. He's at work to you. And he is at work through you. Inviting us into a deeper relationship. Inviting us to take hold of a bigger shield. But every time he does it, he is going to bring you to a crisis of faith that demands a decision. So let me offer you a challenge this morning. I'm not going to ask for a response. I was going to. I'm moving that to next week. What are you going to do with the faith that Jesus has given you? Are you saving it for a rainy day? Saving it for the right occasion? Or are you going to exercise it? Allow God to strengthen it? What steps or step of faith is God encouraging you to take? Ask God to give you the courage to live a life of faith. Now I'm going to end it there. And the reason I'm going to end it there, I'm not going to offer you the challenge I was going to offer because we need to talk about this. You don't just need one of these 
you need one of these. So next week, how do you go from this to this to this? All right? Now, two things. What time is it? 11.28. And we've still got communion. As I said last week, we can get into that right now. Or you can agree to come back next week and pray for it this week. Who agrees? Do we have a majority? All right, we'll do that next week. One last thing before I finish. The best, the number one reason to live a life of faith is sitting right in front of us. It is a response to what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to put another verse up on the screen. And I'd like for us to say this verse together. Can you see that? Galatians 2.20. Can we say it together? I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Father, we thank you. For your son, we thank you for the faith that he has given each one of us. And Father, I know there are some people out here with mighty shields. And there may be some out here with just little tiny shields. And they're getting battered by the fiery arrows of Satan. And they need a bigger shield. Father, I pray this week that, that we would begin that process of trusting in you. That we could get a larger shield, and greater protection, and that we can see your word advanced in our lives as we seek to follow you. Amen.